After a short hiatus, the boys are back. Episode 12, three in the key podcast. I'm Jeff Jazeski, Joe Garofolo, and Uriah Tegel are here. And we're ready to talk NBA basketball. So much, guys, has gone on and happened and gone down, or whatever way you want to word it, since the last time we talked. But we just watched OG Ananobi hit a buzzer beater to send the Raptors with a more positive note into game four, down 2-1 instead of down 3-0. And there's a lot of endgame excitement happening over the last few days. We've seen some bad refereeing at the end of basketball games, some clutch shot making, some bad shot making. Guys, we've seen it all down here in the bubble. Let's just start with how you're feeling about the NBA playoffs as a whole. Uh, I, all I'll know is yesterday with those two foul calls that happened at the end of the Heat-Bucks game that apparently held up on the two-minute report. Um I was yeah, actually Steve Javi's doing the two minute report. <laughs> I, I was actually there. I found myself praying for one of the uh, the fist pump technicals that everyone hates. Like that that I at least would have known was coming instead of those fouls. But no, I mean the games have been competitive for the most part. They've been really really good. Uh, it was nice to see Toronto get a win and actually hit some threes for a change. Uh, and you know I don't really know how much I believe in Houston in the series against the Lakers, but we can get into that. Yeah, I'm here for the drama. This has been great these last couple of days. Obviously, the stakes are higher than they were in the earlier rounds. We've we've trimmed some of the fat. We don't have to watch Orlando uh, play anymore. We don't have to watch. Uh, well, Joe's Brooklyn Nets were out pretty early, but it, it's nice that we have we have matchups here uh, that are intriguing. You don't really know which way they're going to go. Uh, I'm really happy the Raptors just won that game three. Uh, I, I like watching the matchup between those teams, and I was hoping Boston wouldn't go up 3-0 and essentially end that series. So I'm, I'm hoping that'll uh, extend the series to six or seven games. And, uh, yeah, it's been great. I'm here for all of that bullshit yesterday. That was, that was fantastic, uh, fantastic basketball drama, in my opinion. I, I enjoyed all of it. Every last second of it made me angry. but anyway before we get into the individual series and get into some different questions just in the sake of full transparency you know we were getting ready to record the other night when we caught news uh, of the boycott of the uh the bucks and and magic game and then the subsequent cancellations of games over the next two days so you know we obviously didn't want to record a podcast that night we thought it would be disingenuous to just talk about basketball uh, while all that was going on and then schedule conflicts just kind of caught up with us over the the last week or so but we're back we're back to getting on our weekly schedule maybe getting in two episodes here every every now and again maybe during the conference finals and so forth but let's go I don't want to necessarily just do series by series, have us go around and talk about, you know, what we saw and analyze the game, because I think there's enough of that. So the way I kind of want to spin this is I want to go series by series. We can give quick thoughts, but then I want, I want you guys to come up with, and I've come up with your biggest question or takeaway that you learned from watching these teams play or from watching that series. So with that being said, we'll start with the game. That's the most fresh on our mind. The series that's the most, fresh with Toronto and Boston and and, while you guys think about it and formulate some opinions I'll give you my initial question mark on that and the biggest takeaway for me from this series so far is that if you're going to build the team that they have in Toronto if you're going to do all the things they've done in the regular season all you know obviously nurse has got the accolades for being a great coach your best player can't be Pascal Siakam. He doesn't have it. it it's, 
He's a very good player. He's a very good secondary player. Uh, he's still young. Maybe he grows into this, but Pascal Siakam is not ready to be a number one guy in the NBA. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think regular season he showed he could do it, but, I mean, this is a different animal now. I mean, this is this is when you see the difference between the, the cliche Batman versus Robin, um, and he's clearly – not, I don't think we have those copyrights, Joe. We should, uh, we should lay off that. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, when he was playing next to Kawhi, it made everything easier. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I, I completely agree with you. I know when we did our thing and we, we picked the 15 players we were most confident, and I took Pascal with the last pick just because I think his all around game is really strong, even though he's been really bad offensively, he's still so good on defense, but. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been a pretty series for him. It hasn't been a great bubble for him as a whole. He really has not shot well since they got down to Orlando. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with it with Siakam. And, I mean, the thing about him is, like, you know, we think of him as somebody who's just bust onto the scene and is one of the younger guys. I mean, he's 26 years old. Uh, there's a question about how much better he's really going to get at this point. And, like, as Jeff said, we're not discounting him as a player at all. I think we all think he's a fantastic player. But Absolutely. when it gets to, to nut-crunching time in the playoffs, you need that alpha dog who can kind of put the team on their back and, and uh, you know, Go do it. I, I I don't think it's controversial to say Pascal Siakam isn't that guy. Uh, I'm looking no, forward but to hearing Joe's opinions uh, when we get to the Milwaukee and, and Miami series on on some of the players there. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you on this take, Jeff. I think that's I think that's right on. And again, I'm not, not trying to be hot takey about it. I I just you watch him play in this series where they have three defenders that they can be comfortable putting on him and. If you're the number one guy on a team, when your team is shooting as poorly from three as they have been in this series, and you just need to go in and get a bucket, he goes to the same exact move, and the Celtics stop that same exact move every single time. It has been, it's been a discouraging series for him, for someone that has loved watching him grow over the last two years into what he's become as a, a most improved player and a potential all NBA guy this year. It's been a really kind of disappointing series for him, but he's still got, I mean, it's two, one. He got bailed out today. He was, he was decent today. He was much better in this. The, the second half today was by far the best half he's played in the three Agreed. games so far. So if he can continue that momentum, he can look over. A little bit more of the, the lead guy. Um, uh, you want, yeah. I, I, have a, I have an easy takeaway that I think we'll also all agree with. I mean, it's been happening this entire season. It's been happening in the bubble. It happened in the earlier rounds of the playoffs. But Jason Tatum's uh, coming out party just continues here. The ascent. Right? I, the, the ascent. Uh, I mean, he's clearly a future MVP candidate. He's, he's a future first team, all NBA guy. Uh, I mean, he's just a fantastic scorer can seemingly get whatever he wants. Uh, and, and whereas we've seen the opposite with Siakam and the Raptors, I think it's very clear that Jason Tatum can be that guy and will be that guy moving forward for the Celtics. So as the president of the fan club, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said. With that said, I'll, I'll piggyback on that. Do we think Jason Tatum might be the second best player in the East next year? Might be the best player in the East next year. No, Kevin Durant. Second, 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 second best best player in the East right now. Well, second best player in the East next year is going to be Steve Nash uh, behind Durant, and then 
Uh, no, no, that's uh, that's hand up, hand up. I just blew out of my brain that Kevin Durant exists. It's the third best player in the East. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, so, Kevin. Unless Giannis, you know, maybe goes out west. So, so I'll I'll stand by. He's the second best player, including Kevin Durant. Kevin well, like Durant you think won. about the guys, you think about the guys from that's the, in my head of Giannis, Joe, oh, that are talked right. about in the the top fifteen range, like. I'm I'm taking him over Joel Embiid right now. I feel comfortable. I feel more comfortable with just how important wings are as opposed to centers. I think you can make. Obviously, I think the uh, the impact on defense is slightly greater for Simmons, but I think Tatum's offensive impact is is a little bit bigger. So I'd take I'd probably take him ahead of Simmons. And after that, I'm not sure. Other than you know the two Brooklyn guys, I'm not sure there's anybody super close after Giannis and Duncan and Robinson. He's next. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, no. I mean, what do you, you get to that territory where it, now you're basically starting to get like to, Bam and right? It gets to him or Jimmy. I think. Yeah. I, I think that's the question, and like obviously, I, I'm the Jimmy Butler guy on the podcast, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But on a consistent regular season night tonight, I think I'd rather Tatum, and I, I think it's we we've seen it from both of them in the playoffs so far. Yeah, I mean. I don't. I don't have to say anything else against about Jason Tatum. You guys know how I feel. Uh, when we did our ten-year contract, guys, he was number one on my list. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just I love everything about the game. The defense is gets better and better every year. Like your eye said, he can score a bucket versus anybody he wants. Um, it, yeah, I, I just completely enamored with the guy. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, this Celtics team has really – obviously they lost today and, you know, they were up 2-0 before this, though. And, and they've really been firing on all cylinders in this series. Uh, I, I feel like I kind of discounted how good the Celtics could be when they were at full strength, you know, before the playoffs started as we were coming into the bubble. Uh, I mean, we really – it feels like this is the first time we've really seen uh, Kemba – at, at his full powers with this group, at least in a... You, you could know. just say this is the first time we've seen Kemba at this stage. <laughs> you could just say that. <laughs> is it? Is it the first time we've seen him past the first round? Yes. Yeah. It is, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, well, that's... Yeah, that's also a true statement. <laughs> so, the, the thing about... The great thing about Kemba is I, during the game... The, I think it was the second to last game of the the seeding games where Kemba was just god awful, and I texted my cousin who's a big Celtics fan. I was just like, "Listen, pal, Kemba, it's over. It's done. Kemba, Kemba's hurt. There, it's a you know this team's in big trouble." So he texts me every game and goes, uh, "Are you ready to apologize yet?" Well, no, but but in, I, I but in game apologized yet. in game two in this series, I mean, he started the game two for fourteen. And then he hits, yeah, but, he hits two huge he shots at the end. in the fourth quarter. Right, That's, well, he hits the I, two I, big shots at the end. But I'm just saying, like, you know, to your point. I discounted like, he the had, first three quarters. Yeah, to your point, though, he did have a bad game. And then he was Kemba at the end when it mattered, hitting step back, stopping in ways that very few, if any, players can similar to him. It's great to see him play on this stage. It's a shame that he got stuck playing for an inept franchise run by Michael Jordan. <laughs> Joe, they're trying their best. Well, they're doing a really yeah, they're doing a really great job of paying uh, Nick Batum twenty seven a year. Joe, any major question takeaway from that series for you, or do you do we cover uh, it? So I think one thing I will say, um, you know, we talked a lot about the size of the Utah backcourt. That was a constant conversation with us. The Raptors backcourt. I mean, these guys, they're so small, and my thing was. When Gordon Hayward went down, 
I was like, oh, man, this this is really going to hurt them against the Raptors because now the first guy off the bench is Grant Williams or Semi Ojale. Like, they can't beat Toronto with that. But my big takeaway, and it's not just the five threes that he hit the other day, play, being able to start Marcus Smart, to me, I think has been a huge benefit in this series because of the size of Toronto. You know, the fact that He's not, you know, he can, he can play everyone, but the guards fit more that style. You know, Gordon Hayward isn't chasing around a six foot guard. It's Marcus Smart playing someone his size. I think the Gordon Hayward injury benefited Marcus Smart tremendously in this series because it just allowed his versatility on the defensive end to really shine. I don't hate that. And the other thing too, I mean, Fred Van Fleet and Kyle, uh, Kyle Lowry had six made threes in two games and, Marcus Smart at five and one quarter. I mean, that that was – as much as Siakam was a takeaway, that was my takeaway in the first two games. Yeah, I mean, the, Rap, or the Raptors are, I think, still for the series shooting under 30% from three. So the shots have not been a fall. And as they say, it is a make-or-miss league. Yeah, there's only one team in the league that if they miss 33s, I'm going to ask, oh, did they still win? And it's it's Houston. It's, it's not Toronto. <laughs> Fair enough, because they might be 40 of 70. Yeah, they take enough. Yeah. All right, so let's move on. Staying in the East, Bucks Heat. My initial thoughts on the Bucks before I get to my, you know, one takeaway or question. They're the most frustrating team to watch, man. This team is just I mean, they were they were world beaters in the regular season. They could put any lineup together and have success, and I honestly think that's part of the problem because Bud has just kind of stuck to these sub patterns and forced Way too much Pat Connaughton down our throats, a little bit too much Kyle Korver, and they just don't have enough of those bench guys contributing right now. I mean, George Hill's been good. That's really been about it. But my big takeaway, my big question for the two of you, simple, to the point, what is Mike Budenholzer doing? Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, he's getting out coached that I mean like that you think that no but like the thing is you know he's a guy who's won one coach of the year by the coaches this year won it last year by the media but you know one and I take your eye and I were texting about this and I have other things to say but he's going against a better coach it's just the thing like Spolstra is a better coach and I think in theory he has a better team yeah but I'm just well I I listen as somebody who texted you guys a month ago and said when we did takeaways about the Bucks and I told Uriah again before game one. I think the, I thought the Heat were going to win this series. I thought they were the better team at this point. Um, but I think the thing that people are just dismissing is the coaching advantage is clearly in Miami's side. Yeah, sorry, I'm trying to look up uh, me. any guesses on. Uh... Well, better than I thought. I was trying to look up Mike Budenholzer's playoff record here just to get a sense. He's 31-30, and about 500. I mean, his teams usually come in as higher seeds, though. He had years with the Hawks there where they were. I was going to say, did they win? Did they at least? They They won the first round that year, right? Yeah, they got swept by the Cavs, though, in the conference finals, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they they went to the conference finals that year. That's uh, And then the conference finals um, in 20... 15. Or no, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, so 2015 and then last year were the two conference finals trips. Playoff Bud has been... But yeah, I, obviously... I mean, just, they win so all these games in the regular that. season every year, and I, I... I don't know if it's the sub-patterns. I don't know what it is. It does seem like he has his plan going into these games. I don't know if he's not making adjustments. 
throughout the he's series. Not. He's, not. he's not making adjustments throughout the game. It just seems like it's a, it's a system thing. This is our system. This is what's worked for us all year. And this is what we're going to continue doing moving forward. And it's going to continue to work for us. And that's just not how it goes in the playoffs. That's exactly what it is. I mean, he played, he played Giannis 35 minutes. That dude's got to be playing 40 plus minutes every game. Uh, so I, Has that's, to. That's another thing too. Like I know he's going to win back to back MVPs, but like I, I, can we take away an MVP from a dude who's not playing 40 minutes in the playoffs? Like this is ridiculous. But I don't think it's his fault. I don't think Giannis is saying, "Hey, Coach Bud, well, you know six what? minutes it, left, it, it time, to, time to pull me out." When he gets asked why he's not guarding Jimmy, he says he just does what coach tells him to do. But be the be the. That was a bad. You think LeBron I'm, James is going to play I'm 35 gonna, minutes in a playoff game? I'm going to very uh, much push back on the guarding Jimmy thing, but I'll let you finish. Your no, answer. but I'm just saying, like that's that's his answer. So I'm like, do you think LeBron James is going to accept sitting on the bench for more than a quarter length in a in a playoff game? No, he's not going to accept that. But the problem is, he's doing it at a time like. Giannis is playing the entire second half, but he's sitting for enough of the first half where they're not able to build that first half advantage like they did he came all out of the regular game. season. He came out of the game four minutes into the game. Uh, uh, correct, which is their general Four sub-pad. minutes into the game, you're taking the MVP off the floor. Yeah, that's ludicrous. Playoff bud. Do you, do, do, do you want to get into an argument about the guarding Jimmy thing? No, I, listen, I, I wasn't trying to create an argument. I mean, we could talk about that, but I wasn't trying to create – I was more frustrated with Giannis's answer than I was the actual play. I'm sure he was frustrated with the result, so I can, no, I can imagine I, well, why. Listen, you're the defensive player of the year. A reporter's going to ask you why you aren't guarding the guy who's on, on fire. It's a legitimate question. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I, I have no issue with the question being asked. I don't really have a major issue with – the response. I, I, I didn't like the, why would you even ask that? Just answer the question. That's what like, I meant. Yeah. I mean, he was heated though. guys. I mean, right. Like that's, I don't know. I get it's part of being an athlete. You get asked these questions after games in emotional states that are like, that we can't even contemplate because you're, you know, uh, like we don't, uh, you know, we don't have a bad day at work and then somebody puts a mic in our face and it's like, so walk me through that. What the fuck happened? You know? So, uh, I mean, work might be more fun that way. (laughs) Right. Walk me, walk me through how you fuck that up. I feel better when I go in the next day. I already got the, Uh, you know, I worked, I worked four hours on this and then I forgot to save it. And I deleted it. You know, I'm just an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, you can't harp on it too much. It was like a bad, uh, it was a bad look though for a guy in Giannis who pretty much always says the right thing. Um, you know, it, it, it definitely wasn't the I, I, response that was going to get the, you know, I think he, he was Giannis, for the Twitter trolls to come for him with that response. Giannis is a lot kind of chippier I think than people are are willing to acknowledge I mean we saw the headbutt earlier in the bubble you had the series a couple years ago where he legitimately just went full steam ahead through Mike Dunleavy's rib cage and threw him into the crowd like Giannis is a he's a little bit angrier than I think people uh expect out of the Greek freak yeah, he's got a little bit of that like Eastern European angriness that you'd expect from like a Kristaps Porzingis or a Nikola Jokic, but uh, you, you guys, you guys know what I'm what I'm implying there, right? Nikola Jokic just doesn't have the uh, the energy to get angry. He's he can't run up and down the court. He's exerting too much energy on having the most insane footwork of any big man in the last you know however many years. Yeah, he doesn't have time to be angry. Uh, all right. What's my takeaway from this series? Um, I mean, the refs have, have been horrible. 
they were uh, the end of that game yesterday. Uh, we should just talk about that, right? That whole sequence of the, yeah, you know, absolutely. Rog- the Dragic foul on Middleton gets called, then down on the other end, the Giannis foul on Butler sends Jimmy to the line with no time left on the clock where he sinks both free throws to win the game. Uh, I mean, it, it's you just can't end games like that, right? And it, it felt like the Butler or the call on Giannis uh, was a makeup for the call on Dragic on the other end, you know, you can debate that all you want. I think both calls were bad. I think the foul on Giannis was much worse than Absolutely. the call on Dragic. I think we'd all agree with I, that. I initially thought on first watch that it was a good call on Dragic. Uh, Dragic. You have to give a three-point shooter space to land, and he kind of went up on the tippy toes and puffed out, like, into the shooting area. On second watch... I wouldn't have called it, but like that one was far more like you could pull up the video, point to it and have a ref say, this is why I called this on the other end. He touched his back on the way down and Jimmy Butler fell pretending that he got pushed. Like, <laughs> come on. It was nothing. Right. Right. And I, uh, yeah, I think with the, I think with the Dragic foul, you know, it, it's, it's something that we've seen called before, but it's like, you don't call it in that situation. You know, I, I mean, I don't know what the what the directive is with officiating, and I think it's been a, a complaint that people have had across these series. It's not just in this series; it's it's been across the bubble and it's been across these playoff games. But um, I mean, it's just a shitty way for for a game to end. I would have liked to see overtime in that Bucks Heat game yesterday. Um, we were headed there if uh, if they didn't call that foul on Giannis. So it's just it's just a bummer. Uh, to to the Drogic foul, I feel like. I mean, this isn't an excuse, but the how horrendous these players have been at closing out jump shots and constantly fouling jump shooters certainly aided to the fact that that was called. Okay. I mean, it, it is I, – I can't – like the Van Gundys both lose their minds every time it happens, and it's funny because, you know, then whoever's calling the game on play-by-play says, oh, you and your brother, well, I mean, it's just it, – it's me that no one can close out without committing a foul. And it's not the Zaza rule. It's just stupid plays. You know, like the Drogic thing is more of the Zaza rule. But it's just uh, – the ineptitude has just been so bad for the refs. It, it's the one time that I actually somewhat agree with Jeff sending people to Jupiter. I, I mean, I got the rocket ship fueled up. <laughs> the three guys from that game yesterday, get them out. You don't even have to send them to Jupiter, Jupiter, Florida. Send them to Jupiter, Florida, for all I care. Gas up the freaking rental car and get them out of there. That's a a cop out. That's a good one. That can't be that far away. That's a cop out. I'm not great at Florida geography, but, you know, it's got to be worth it. It's a big state. But, hey, it's in the same state. So, yeah, it's within driving distance. Ooh. Trez with a nice block. Um, yeah, no, I mean, the officiating was frustrating. And, and the honest thing, I completely agree. That that was a makeup call. And I don't know why you needed a makeup call. Just let it go to overtime and solve right, itself. I, 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 w- I will say we're harping on the officiating here. And, and I brought up the officiating. So, you know, we, we had to discuss it, I think. But I, I was texting Joe yesterday. I didn't get a chance to watch most of game one. Uh, I watched a good chunk of game two yesterday and I was just getting ready to, I, I texted each other. I, I was like, I was just getting ready to tell you that I think Miami looks like the better team here. Right. If, if I didn't know the seating here, I would say they're the one seed in uh, Milwaukee's the, the what Miami's the five seed, right? They're not even the four technically. Correct. Um, 
And then that last couple minutes of the game happened <laughs> where they, they choked that lead away and, and got it into the situation uh, where those fouls even had meaning and, and could have changed the course of the game. And I was a little less sure. I, I still think Miami, uh, in, in what I've watched, Miami has looked like the better team, but I, I'm not ready to write the Bucks off uh, in this series by any means. So, so my, my thing real quick, Jeff, before you go, and why I picked Miami – to win this series over the fact that the coaching I thought was a huge discrepancy is because when it comes down to it, I I trust not only the, the multiple defenders they have to throw at Giannis, but I trust Tyler Hero to make a shot over Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo. And like, I, I think the guys at the end of Miami's rotation are more reliable in these moments. And also, Eric Bledsoe doesn't belong on the same floor as Goran Dragic. Like, it's just... It should not be anywhere near him in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, you steered right into a direction that I was going. I was basically just going to pose the question, is there a player that's getting real minutes for me other than Kendrick Nunn that you don't trust to make the right play for Miami currently? No. Yeah, no. no. For the Bucks, I think I can name three guys that I don't feel comfortable with the ball being anywhere near. And again, I think that goes back to the sub patterns. I think Bud needs to tighten it up, play his seven or eight best guys, and give his team a chance to win this series. Giannis has been so kind of deferential at times. Like when he goes down the the floor, gets the ball at the three point line, takes one dribble, turns, spins, and dunks on a guy. You could do that every play, you know. You're probably the only guy that can say, I can do that every play. Yeah, maybe. But I think but. I, I think the free throws get in his head sometimes. He doesn't want to get fouled and go to the line. No, he doesn't. I mean, it, he shot well from the free throw line yesterday, and that's that's a rarity. But game one, oh, what was he, four for ten? And yeah. not even the ones that went in look good? Yeah. But, I mean, again, he's on such a pedestal now that we're talking about like a – what do you have, like – 25 and 12 yesterday and we're talking about it like the guy was 29 and 14 yeah Yeah. even even better so so my my takeaway slash question from this series um and i'm i'm kind of mad that i'm not mad at the person who tweeted it but i'm kind of mad at all the attention it got today because i i said it to uriah before i saw the tweet Oh, and no. I said it, sent the tweet to your eye, and I said, my guy RJ just understands me. <laughs> my question to you two before I get to oh, my thought. this tweet, this garbage tweet from this no. morning? Yeah, well, it was from – well, if it's – no, 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 it's the Wait, one from last night that he's not a, a Batman. My question to you is how good of a second player does Giannis need to win a title? Because that that's, that's what I want you – like – can can if Giannis is playing with Paul George, is that team good enough to win a title? Like where where is the line in where Giannis's robbing can be where you say that team will win the title? I think if right now, despite the fact that he was considerably better this season, like if you told me that Giannis had Donovan Mitchell instead of Chris Middleton, I think I think I'm in on that. I agree with that. Yeah, I think it's... They just don't have a shot creator. Like, Middleton's shot creation is 19-footers that are contested. Bledsoe, as you said, whatever happens to that man when he sees the words playoffs on the court is just stunning. And other than that, like, they have nice pieces, but 
they can't do anything really by themselves. Like when you're create, when you're counting on George Hill as your number two shot creator, you're probably not going to do so well in the, in the Eastern conference playoffs. And that's what you need at the end of these playoff games. And that's something that Giannis isn't uh, the best at, you know, like he's, he's a force of nature. He's incredibly athletic. He can get to the rim whenever he wants, as Jeff said, but he's not going to take somebody one-on-one and, and hit a step back three over them to, to win the game the way a lot of these, a lot of these other uh, number one guys on these playoff teams will. Shooting uh, is the great differentiator. Right, right. So I don't know exactly where the line is. It's somewhere above Chris Middleton. I don't uh, – Paul George, I have my own issues with Paul George as a number two. I, I don't know if I'm confident in that combination either. I, I would – I would be good with Mitchell. Um, and I just, I just brought up Paul George because Kawhi is good enough that he can win a title with Paul George. This is two is what I was more getting at. Like, yeah, well, if the Clippers win the title this year, it's not a shock because of how good Kawhi is. Is what I'm getting at. I think I'd feel comfortable with Paul George with Giannis. So if the Bucks had Paul George instead of Chris Middleton, it's at you, worst one one. No, no. Well, I'm, but I'm saying, would you would you feel confident that they were definitely going to come out of the East? Is what I'm saying. Because if Giannis is a two-time MVP... Yeah, I think so. Because the point that I was getting at to Uriah last night was that if this guy is the best player on your team, you need an elite shot maker and shot creator as your two to win a title. Because he... how how stagnant your offense gets when all they need to do is line up Crowder and Iguodala and Butler and like when they can just line up the defense and create this wall and you can't do anything. It's a huge problem. I think it's more important for Giannis to be paired with a shot making guard that might not give you as much on defense than it is to be paired with an efficient kind of spot up guy that can get a mid-range shot at times and can defend on the other end. So, like so here, here's a question. Because what about Kyrie? I, I think I that does. I have, I have my issues with Kyrie, but yes, in theory, if this team had Kyrie, they'd be yeah, significantly I, better. I'm in on yeah. yeah. So I I, I, like I, if I you take Bledsoe and Middleton off and you put Kyrie in, I think they're better. Can Definitely. they have like a decent? Can they have like Joe Harris then in the <laughs> in Chris yeah. Middleton spot? <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, obviously they're going to get a decent play, but I'm just saying if you take the two, what's supposed to be the second and third best players off and you put Kyrie in, I think they're better. I, I think it's, I really think it's a, it's a, it's what Jeff's saying. It's a, he needs, he needs a guard, a shot making guard next to him. Okay. Basically, we need to replace Eric Bledsoe on this team, right? Because it's the same problem as if I said, like, you think Joel Embiid by himself being the best player on a team can mm-hmm. win a title, right? If it's Joel Embiid and Shake Milton, no. If it's Joel Embiid and Chris Middleton, no. If it's Joel Embiid and uh, Kyrie or Donovan Mitchell, I think so. I mean, you know, I, but I think it. Joel Embiid and Chris Middleton, I'd be, I feel like I'd be more for afraid of that team. Just, You'd be more just afraid one of that guy team than this current on the team. offensive end. I'd 100 percent be more afraid of that team. I wouldn't. I don't know because you that. still, uh, Chris Middleton's not going to to get past a guy to set up Joel Embiid in the post because he can't do that when Giannis is set up in the post. So here. Here, they lost that game yesterday. I knew the conversations were going to start that Giannis was leaving. We, I mean, anyone could have saw that coming. And Miami and Toronto came up. So you said that uh, we, we talked about how Toronto, Pascal can't be an alpha. If Giannis goes to Toronto tomorrow, 
Is is that the player that like does that fit or does is or he does... replacing Siakam? Like no no, 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 no. If he's taking the spot that Kawhi Leonard had last year, oh. are, is that enough shock creation on offense? And the rest of the with Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Fleet, hell yes, yeah. hell yes. But that's not that's that. the, the Raptors could win the East, with the East as is. Is that enough shock creation on offense? Yes. Though? Oh God, yes. Fred Van Fleet and Kyle Lowry versus Eric Bledsoe and Wes Matthews. Yeah, I'm I'm good. That's for me. It comes back to the backcourt he's playing with. I I I want to see Giannis paired with a guard, Chris Paul. There's another one that would be. That's what I was just going to say. That that's that's fresh on the the mind. That's the one move. That's the guy. I mean, that's right. I was saying last night that Milwaukee could realistically somehow make for next year that makes a difference. I think they'd have to. Middleton would have to be involved because I think you'd have that's probably the only money that would make it work. Yeah. yeah. Obviously they'd still have to add a ton to it just to get to the Chris Paul money. So if you put if you put Fred Van Fleet on the Bucks in place of Eric Bledsoe, are they walking You're closer, the east? but uh I'm not are they walking not, to the east. They're not walking they're through walking no. Through, yeah, I, they have a better shot. Well, that's what I'm, like how much I, how much Joe, I think I think your may I think your point is well received in, in that there is like there is a level of, of guard. You know, Jeff and I are talking about the type of player. We're saying it needs to be a shot-creating yeah. guard. But there is a level of the guys like, we're talking about. We're talking about Donald, like I think We're talking about Kyrie. We're essentially, about all, I, all I wanted to get to is that, like, Kawhi – that Giannis is – yes, Giannis is a top-five player in the NBA. But come playoff time, he, he is well behind a LeBron James. and a, Like, the gap between him and Kawhi and, and LeBron is, is drastic in what you need to win a, a championship. I'm fine with that. I agree with that. I, I mean, we that's more what I'm getting at. hasn't even won the conference yet. No, you know? Right. But what I'm, I'm like, it's just individually, not the rest of this individually, the gap in what they can do for you in the playoffs compared to Giannis, I think is huge. I agree. Yeah, that's fine. I, we're all kind of like, I, I, we're, we're all, all saying the same thing. Points, all I'm getting at is, I don't think it's a, okay, this player is better than this player. Like, I think there's players worse than Chris Middleton that I would, that I think would raise the Bucks' ceiling higher than he will just because of the fit and play type with what Giannis needs to be even more successful than he is. That's, that's all I was getting at. Yeah. Western Conference. So let's start. Let's start with the series that hasn't begun yet. Lakers, Rockets. We'll talk we'll touch on the I have one point I want to ask you guys from the Rockets OKC game. And I don't even want to get super deep into the game. You know, obviously it was it was exciting. There was again some bad calls and plays down the stretch. Billy Donovan maybe should spend a couple of nights in jail for that out-of-bounds play he drew up. That's maybe an overreaction, but on initial thought, something wasn't went wrong. great. Something went wrong. Something this, went horribly wrong. Like, like I know what you're, like what you're saying about Billy Donovan going to jail for the, the design. Something did not go right because there's no way it was just everybody stand around and let Steven Adams come Steven free. Adams come get the ball. <laughs> like yeah, that it, was, not, it looks like he was well, going to come up to the top of the key and grab it and take a, a fadeaway turnaround three to, to, to win the game. It was designed for Gallinari to get open to get a three, but Gallinari can't get open. And Gallinari was ice cold in that game. So if that's your plan, when you need a two, that's a problem. They also, I mean, 
we can get into this, but the Rockets had like four, six, four guys on the floor, and they didn't even think about going anywhere near the rim. Oh, how about, yeah, before they called the timeout where there's no one standing in the paint, and they could have just lobbed it to Adam. So here's where I want to go with this. Is it possible for a guy like Chris Paul to gain legacy points after a first-round series loss? Because I think what he did this year well, and in that, that series was a significant boost for the whole, ah, Chris Paul, what, is he, what can he do in the playoffs? I think so. This is the worst team Chris Paul's been on since he was on the Hornets, right? All those Clippers teams were better than this OKC team, I think. Once they got a call, once they had Blake and DeAndre, I, I think those Rockets teams uh, with Harden, team, two years were they together, right? Yeah. Those yep. teams were both better than this OKC team. Nobody picked them to be a playoff team. Even and if they did, they season. had them as the I seven the, or the eight. I think the, I don't, I think the Vegas over-under was 33. Yeah. Right. Nobody no thought had, Chris Paul no would had, even play for this team yeah. <laughs> initially. Uh, and they, you know, they overachieved all season. They got better as the season went along. You could see the young guys getting better. They took Houston to seven in a series that they really had no business taking to seven. I mean, Lou Dort scored fucking 30 points in game seven. And I, sorry, I, I just have to touch on this. The fact that Dort was shooting a three for their season is is just like the most hilarious thing. Also, but it also made sense considering the impact he'd had on the series. Well, I mean, I guess it was <laughs> that was not what they wanted to happen on that play. <laughs> <laughs> no, you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, Chris um, Paul almost turned it over, and then it just deflects over to Dort. But yeah, I just started yeah. laughing my ass off as soon as I saw it was going to be a Dort three for the for yeah. the season. Have a what game. What kind of bizarro? Man. Have a game. What kind of bizarro world are we living in that a Lou Dort three pointer to win the game was blocked by James Harden? <laughs> right. Right. Unbelievable. Um, but no, to answer your question, Jeff, yes, I think Chris Paul absolutely gains legacy points for this year. This this series with uh, this game seven last night was a total like win win situation for him, right? If they win the game and they win the series, everybody's going to be like, holy shit, Chris Paul just beat the Rockets with a team, you know, a team that's definitely worse talent wise. Uh, and, it, you know, they lost. I mean, he did falter at the end of the game. He didn't. He didn't make the play that you'd want to see him make to to win the game there. Uh, but he was he was pretty excellent the whole series. And again, they took Houston to seven after Game Five. Everybody thought the series was over. People thought there yeah. was no way it was going seven. So to win that Game Six the way they did, and uh, yeah, I think I, I I look even more favorably on on Chris Paul's legacy after this yeah, I, series. I completely agree. I just wish the last three minutes of the season wasn't what everybody always holds against Chris Paul. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's my, <laughs> that's goes my, every year, right? Right. Like that's my thing. Like everything you guys are, have both said is a hundred percent true. And he was, he proved that he's the best leader in the league. Like he did things for, he turned Dennis Schroeder into a two-way player that might win the sixth man. Like that's, I don't know what else to say about him. He, he's a coach. He's elite. Like, but the last three minutes of the season, is what everybody holds against him. And it's just, it's unfortunate that all the good he did on and off the floor, getting us in this bubble, be, you know, and all that. And that's how it ends. Yeah, it's tough. Um, just transition that right into the, the next series with, oh, oh, oh. Uh, with We're Houston. We're not going to talk about the Rockets at all? No, I'm getting to, to the oh, Lakers and the, the Rockets next series, is the next series. In the context of well, it. the series is over between right. OKC and Houston. <laughs> now we got the next one. All right, all right. <laughs> so 
I don't really have a huge question. Obviously, I don't have any takeaways because the series didn't start yet. But can the Rockets win, I guess, is my question. No. I don't think so either. I think it could go six. I don't, yeah. know. I don't know if they win more than one game. I, I'm not looking forward to watching the series. No, I, enjoy... I was so ready. I, I yeah. was just so ready for – uh, it's not even that I don't like watching the Rockets play. I just don't like the players that are on the floor. I well, love exactly. Robert, Covington. Robert Covington. I love Robert Covington. I just, he was the I, MVP of that game last night. <laughs> I'm so sick of watching Russell Westbrook. I, I'm sorry. Okay, so let's, let's go back to game six. I'm so real, sick of it. Let's go back to game six real quick because I know how much you hate Russell Westbrook, and I know how horrendous that turnover was at the end of the game and how bad he played in the fourth quarter. But I just got to say something. I still admire the fact that that dude actually wants the goddamn ball while James Harden is hiding at half court. <laughs> like, James Harden making that block last night might have saved his legacy. Like, if they but, lose but, that series, the way he – he had one of the worst games of his career last night on the offensive floor, on the offensive side correct. of the court. He was terrible in game six, and in the last two and a half minutes, could not be further from the basketball. Like, if he doesn't make that block and they lose that game Because he knows night, he's not getting it back. Kevin Durant went through this for no, nine wait, years. No, 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 no. Time out, time out, time out. There's, there's no getting it back when the inbound goes to Russell Westbrook because both players agree to that in the, in the huddle in a timeout. He doesn't want the ball. So Kevin Durant like this didn't is, this want the ball either Russell Westbrook this didn't give it up? This is a different argument than the KD Russ thing. I mean, this we're is watching the different. same thing. That you could pick out how many clips of KD standing behind the three-point line as Russell Westbrook threw up bad shot after bad shot, this made bad decision after argument. bad decision. This is a different argument. My argument – Jeff, this is on an inbound play. Like, you're James friggin' Harden. You're the face of this franchise. You've won an MVP. There's no – that's what the players agreed on. No, you demand the fucking ball. <laughs> I mean, Russell Westbrook's not chopped liver. I'm sure he's not just saying, okay, whatever you Jack, want, whose James. team is this? Whose team is this that if the, if the game's on the line, should have the ball? Like, on an uh, inbound play, unquestioned. In Russell Westbrook's head, it's his team. But that's not – I mean, well, I, think it's, I think D- it's clear. Mike D'Antoni should be fired for allowing James Harden to have an option. I think it's clear Harden didn't want the ball at the end of, uh, at the end of game six. No, uh, and really at the end of – Game seven as well. I, I, I mean, he, he, I mean, Joe, Joe's saying it with a lot more passion than I'm going to be able to muster. Uh, I've, I've used all my passion uh, for the Rockets in, in other places. No, I don't have any passion for the Rockets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um, I mean, there, there were just so many possessions at the end of the game at the end of both games where Yes, Westbrook had the ball, but Harden was never coming to get it. Uh, That's what I'm getting. Bounds, right? This dude doesn't uh, want the ball. Like there, you know, and the clips were going around a lot after Game Six. I mean, this isn't a unique position that uh, that Harden seemed like he didn't want the ball. I mean, I, I texted Joe during the last couple of minutes of the game last night. And I said I don't remember the last time Harden shot the ball. Uh, that was, I think, it had been at least like three or four minutes at that point. Granted, he didn't have the best game last night. I mean, they won the game. Um, I, I just don't know what uh, to transition a little bit here. What do we think? What do we think they look like moving forward, Houston? Because different. The you know, but I don't you know. know they have like, the new how owner. Movie there, those contracts. Right. You have to figure that. Uh, I that mean, somebody if, some, if they wanted to get rid of him, somebody would happily take James Harden in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, James I'm James thinking there. How do you get rid of Russell Westbrook's contract? That's more what I'm getting at. Knicks. <laughs> 
Aiken Hall. Next coming in for the uh, for the save. Um, I, I just that's what I'm more curious about than anything because I don't really think they have a chance against the Lakers here. Um, I don't either. I don't know how into this series I am. I want to see what's going to happen with with Davis, of course. I'd like to think of that same situation from Game 7 last night played out, that uh, Anthony Davis would have been catching, a, catching an alley-oop at the rim and, and finishing that game off. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I just – I don't know uh, – listen, we saw the best version of Russell Westbrook maybe in his entire career earlier this season, right? And – so, so there's evidence that version that, didn't come to the bubble. Well, but the thing is, I mean, like last night's game at the end of the third quarter and the first couple of minutes of the fourth quarter, like he, he put his stamp on that game. But, and the problem is the problem with this team is that he does that. And then what Jeff is saying is he just goes full throttle and makes mistakes, which is what, you know, listen, that's what he, he's done that throughout his career, but he gets this in his head that I'm the guy because he's doing everything. And then when it gets to the end of the game, he doesn't want to give it up because James Harden was a ghost for friggin' 45 minutes. Uh, the, 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 the thing I'll 100% agree with on James Harden Guy, it's been 10 years. You are clearly gassed at the end of the fourth quarters. Get fucking in shape, man. For one time. You won the MVP not being in shape. Imagine what you could do being in shape. And that was the whole thing when he got to the bubble. He was supposedly in the best shape. He was just, you know. <laughs> yeah, Harden in the playoffs, it's it's same story, different year. Uh, I'm at the point with him where I'm not at all confident in him. Over uh, the last five series. years. Five years oh, we got from three-point range in the fourth quarter, 25%. That's damning. That's a lot of playoff data. Yeah, sure is. And that's playing with a point guard that everybody respects for two of those. That's not taking the ball and not giving it back to him. Like that, it's just – I'm, I'm getting question. to the point, as much as I love James Harden, I'm getting to the point that I'm just ready to be done with him the way I am Ben Simmons. Like, this is, it's just, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Last question I have before, I really don't want to talk about this series anymore. We're going to move on. <laughs> last, last question I have. Do the Rockets have a chance if they have Chris Paul instead of Russell Westbrook? Yes. Well, no, no, uh, well, no, like, no. I don't. Like they, they, they handle the first round better, and maybe no, no. no I mean, I mean against the Lakers. Just no, no. no that's count, what I'm saying. I'm saying count everything else. They, they, they handle the. I'm saying if Chris Paul's on this team, they handle the first round better, and maybe they win two games against the Lakers instead of one. Like I, I just don't. I don't think it would matter. I, I don't know. I think their issues. I, I still think the. <laughs> the lineups they're running are going to be their biggest issues against the Lakers. Uh, Anthony Davis is not going to, he's not Steven Adams. I, I mean, I could be wrong on this. We'll see when the series kicks off tomorrow night, but I think he's just going to go nuts in this series. Rob I mean, the, only, the only issues, I don't know how much like it, Dwight and JaVale just cannot be playing their normal minutes because then the, they're going to get, gonna have to get creative. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. That's, that's where the issues like, you're going to have to see a lot of, I guess, Markeith Morris, which yeah, I don't know. But Woo! I mean, love that. OKC played a ton of Steven Adams. Like it's not like he wasn't. Well, no, playing. but I'm saying they can't go the two bigs is more. Oh I'm yeah. Saying. No, absolutely. Yeah. Not. That's what I'm saying. Like they, they love to start, you know, yeah, JaVale I with gotcha. I gotcha. Adams and play Dwight with, with uh, Anthony Davis and stuff. And I just, Rob, um, Rob, Worldwide Wob, Rob Perez had maybe the greatest tweet I've seen about a guy yesterday. He said, uh, we got to stay, it was like, we got to stop calling uh, Steven Adams Aquaman because after that series, he looked like a seven foot tall bottle of, uh, bottle of water. Let's call him Aquafina. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's good. 
Yeah, I mean, he a good one. When, when there's nobody taller than six seven on the floor, and you're just not doing anything to demand the ball or do anything in the post. That was a tough, tough showing for uh, Stephen Adams. He might be washed. Might be. He's washed adjacent. Yeah, that's fair. I'd like to see him on a different team. Just, just, just for shits and shits and gigs, you know, just to see him out of that uh, OKC system. Yeah, that's fair. We'll see. Clips Nuggets. So obviously, to get here. There was quite a bit of entertainment and excitement in the Clippers and uh, Mavs series. Uh, there was even more excitement and theatrics and whatever in the Nuggets and Jazz series. And my God, was Game 7 horrendous to watch until the final 30 seconds. Yeah. If, I you, mean, want, my, my, if, if you want 90s basketball, you want scores of 80 to 78, take it. Please, get away from me. Have my, it. I don't my, want it anywhere my, near me. My only takeaway from game seven was gross. My only takeaway from game seven was I was extremely impressed with how Donovan Mitchell played defense on Jamal Murray. That was the only thing from that game that impressed me was when they were making that push, he took the assignment of Jamal Murray and he did a damn good job on him. That was my only thing that I took away positively in that game. But the series as a whole, as you're saying, it was, was spectacular. It was spectacular. If it was any other two teams, it would have got far more. I mean, obviously it got play. I'm not saying nobody talked about it, but like it's two West Coast teams that probably don't have huge national fan bases. So uh, it didn't get quite as much, uh, you know, national love. Oh, oh, and in Game Seven, Jokic reminded everyone that this is his team. <laughs> yeah, he was he was good. He's still the slowest man in the world, but he was he was good. The, uh, old, the old race to eighty last night. Gotta love that. Yeah, no. Anybody who says they want nineties basketball doesn't know what the fuck they're actually asking for. I think that, uh, that's what they were asking for. <laughs> and I promise you, it ain't always going to be that exciting at the end. Like, it's going to be eighty sixty eight. Like there, there are definitely games that I watch where I'm like, can we, can we get like five minutes of nineties basketball? Sure. But, Somebody get a stop. Yeah, like that was. Hey, you're wide open. Yeah. Miss a shot. When we're headed to the fourth quarter and both teams have ninety, I'm like, this, this is a problem. Joe but, Denver scored thirty points in the second half and won. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, the guards were sensational. That's. I mean, that's the only thing we should really talk about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, this series gave birth to, uh, I think, playoff Jamal Murray is officially a thing now. I mean, we saw it last year as well. This guy, what the fuck, honestly, right? Like, that that's that's all I have to say. He was fucking unbelievable in this series. And I still don't know how much I trust him. Well, that's the thing. So, games yeah. two, what is it, two, three, and seven, he, he didn't play well. It's the other four that he was out of this world. So, it's... You know, who's who's like the, the whole thing when Jamal Murray signed that extension was everybody said, this is ridiculous. He's not worth that money, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes out and does what he does in the Utah series. And you're like, oh, that's why they gave it to him. But then the rest of the time you're like, well, can't you be this assertive all the time? Like, yeah. it, it was so it was kind of frustrating listening people like I would talk to a couple of people. They'd be like, so like. Jamal Murray's taking the leap, right? Like, this is what he is. It's like, well, no, he's not going to shoot 60% from three. I can right. promise you that. I just want the assertiveness. Like, Yeah, no, I mean, even in that first game, he was kind of letting the game come to him, letting the game come to him, and then, bam, fourth quarter. But then the rest of the series, he was just like, you know what? This is, this is my team, you big, slow center guy. Get out of here. This is a guards league. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the matchup with the guards is what made this series entertaining. Him and Mitchell going back and forth. And we saw it in multiple NBA games. Record. Yeah, Four, Mitchell was awesome. Yeah, 475 combined points, the most in a playoff series ever. Yeah, I mean, for a guy in year two now for Mitchell, his first two forays into the – is this year three? Who's year wrong? three for Mitchell. You guys are looking at me like it's okay. Yeah. Three for uh, Mitchell, four for Murray. Um, for his first couple forays into the playoffs here, I, he's gotten better every year. Um Wow, I can't believe he's in year three already. He, I mean, he like, certainly made amends. Talking with me a little year. bit, like yeah. He, yeah, that he was, was his goal in Houston, and, and he did it. Like he was unbelievable. And 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 listen, I, I didn't go in, but and are you guys with me in the fact that when Conley let that ball go, you Ooh. thought it was definitely in? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, let's talk Absolutely. about the 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 big old boner there from uh, Tory Craig. Tory Craig's getting all the shit. I think it's on Jamal Murray personally. I think he's just as much to blame. You're the guard. Dribble it out. Dribble it out. He went to the rim. What like the fuck is Torrey Craig supposed to do in that situation? He was back. halfway up to the rim when he caught the Uriah, ball. You know what Torrey Craig's supposed to do? Make a fucking layup. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> yes. No. It's, what was he supposed to do in that situation is not the best defense I, I of thought, a missed layup at the end of a playoff. I game. mean, obviously <laughs> the interaction between Murray and Craig was was great. Like, dude, you missed the layup. But uh, no, the Jokic thing when he was like, yeah, when for those few seconds after he missed the layup, like. Cool. Like he basically, Jokic basically said, "Like, fuck this guy. Like, we weren't, we he, we didn't want him around anymore after that missed layup." Almost one of the bigger fuck ups in NBA playoff history. Certainly the biggest one in recent history. Uh, would be up there with the J.R. Smith, uh, uh, sure. clock management <laughs> gaff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm more than happy. Whatever time you guys want to spend on this series, because uh, Denver doesn't stand a fucking chance against no. the Clippers. I so I don't know. I, I got nothing to say on that series. No. No, we can if, talk about it when we... If I set up a swimming pool and gave Gary Harris a basketball, I'm not sure it's going in the swimming pool. <laughs> yeah, I mean... One of nine up, yesterday. They're up 20, almost 20 at the half. I don't. I don't. Denver think. just doesn't have the scoring. They don't. Well, and did you see Murray's reaction to on Scott Sports Center? Yes. Yeah. That, when he was like, "We we play on we play Thursday. Thursday. You don't get two days off." <laughs> it's like fucking. I, I, I obviously get why the NBA is doing it this way. You know, you don't want to waste time in the bubble. You want to get these games right. as quickly as possible. But it, it does suck for these guys that they but, that they've been playing every other day. The talent gap is obviously wide here, but this game is why I think it's bullshit when everybody's like, oh, well, you know, they've been just sitting there resting. All they can do is practice. These guys are coming off game seven. Yeah, they just played seven games in like less than two weeks. They're probably pretty tired. Yeah. They're not going to look too good. Right. Yeah. Now the I got nothing are... else on the Clippers Nuggets series unless you guys do. Nope. Um, yeah, no. Good for Ty Lowe. Yes, he's getting the Sixers job. Good for him. Yeah. Well, obviously now we're going to get into the the coaching news. Well, um, I mean, that's it, his Clippers assistant coach, so that was the only thing I had to right. say. <laughs> oh, but that that's a nice transition. So the two big the the, the two uh, big moves of the day, the report that Ty Lue is expected to become the next uh, coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. and oh yeah, some uh, some halftime. UEFA Champions League commentators coming to be the head coach of the Nets. What? Steve Nash, how about it? Joe, let's get the uh, the non-instant reaction because it's been like 12 hours. So my instant reaction was, holy shit, like I, never in a million years could I have ever seen that coming. Like he did, 
I don't there there was no smoke and mirrors and then you read the report that this was a done deal since May and it's like Jesus Christ like this is this is Danny Age Brad Stevens stealth like where the frig did this come from um so then hey, sorry to cut you off Chad. do we believe it was a done deal since May I don't I don't I I just uh, I don't know it, it seems it seems unlikely, um, and, and maybe it was, maybe it so, was. So I'll, I'll say Ashen in some capacity, and I'll and, say that I think not that it was a done deal since May, but I, I'll say that they've known for a while that this was a direction they were looking to go because Jack Vaughn's really the only one that interviewed, and in that interview, they basically told him, "We're going to make you the highest paid assistant coach. You're you're coming with Steve." Like that, there, there was a knowledge, like everyone, you know, there was all the pop rumors. There's the Ty Lue conversation because of Kyrie and they leave the bubble and they interview Jock Vaughn and it's immediately announced that they have Steve Nash. Like this has been in the works for a while. And the bubble, like, I think they knew it before the bubble because the Jock Vaughn stuff didn't really sway them as was kind of, I guess my, Do, do you think if, if the Nets hadn't looked so good in the bubble, uh, that, Jacques Vaughn was definitely coming back to be the lead assistant no matter what. Do you think that part was – obviously, this is all speculation on our part. We don't I think okay. that before that, Sean Marks would have pushed for it, but I don't think ownership would have signed off on it. I think that makes sense. Because I got another question for Vaughn you. Vaughn was Marks' guy. But, I mean, I, I'll give you – yeah, I'll answer your question, and then I'll give you my actual thoughts on him being the coach. You, sorry. I can't – you off to just make it about me, like always. Uh, oh. You have been texting me a bunch about Greg Popovich for the last couple of weeks. He put his house on the market. <laughs> Would you like? How do you feel about it now that it's Nash? You got to be excited about Nash. Like, what what percentage more excited would you be if it was Greg Popovich instead of Steve Nash? If it was Greg Popovich, I probably would have been over the moon. Like, if it's Greg Popovich, I'm. <laughs> fully on board with the fact that I feel like this team is, is a contender. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'll get to my, my, I'm thrilled with the way things worked out because, and I know I'm, it's really unfortunate for Steve Nash, the, the storyline and the way that things went today, um, making his hire about race and listen, there's definitely an issue with coaching throughout this country and minorities not getting this opportunity that Steve Nash got to take over a team that has Kevin Durant. I'm not questioning any of that, but it is really unfortunate for him that that's where things went because I think the fact that they got Jock Vaughn to be the lead assistant and the familiarity that he has with the whole organization and the younger players, the continuity that that creates is huge. But and again, I know that this became about race, but for me, all we have talked about from the day Kenny Atkinson got fired was the head coach had to be somebody that one connected with KD and even more importantly, Kyrie Irving could relate to. And they did that. Whether you think Steve Nash was the right guy for the job or not is a, is a whole conversation we can have. But they, they did what all three of us had said. You had to find somebody that those two could work with and respect and that offered something, and they got that guy. Like, they got the guy that fills that role. So from that perspective and keeping Jacques Vaughn, I'm very happy because, as you both know, Jacques Vaughn was who I was wanted to be the head coach by the end of the bubble. Mm-hmm. 
So they, the guy that I wanted is on the staff. And now they've got someone. Th- this isn't Jason Kidd. Like, this isn't when Jason Kidd took over for the Nets, fresh off retirement without head coaching experience. This is a guy who's coming into an organization with a roster that has continuity. It's not just pieces forced together by an owner who's like, no, I'm, we're going to win a title in five years. You said he's not Jason Kidd, so that means you don't think Steve Nash will be forcing his way to the Suns in three years? Or No, or forcing his way to the Bucks because he wants to be the GM. Like, Do you think he'll spill his coffee on the court? I don't know. Does Steve Nash drink coffee? I don't. I don't even know. Maybe it was. A, it was a rum and coke. I mean, I know they said it was just a coke, but it was definitely a rum and coke. It's Jason Kidd. Uh, let's be honest. Fair. I, I, I oh, think. God, right. I mean, that's. I think you basically. <laughs> you you basically handled it like what you just said is with everything that I would have said basically. So the the obviously nobody's disagreeing that there's not a lack of you know, diversity or a lack of lanes for black NBA assistants who have put in the time to get these head coaching jobs. But it's not like they just, it's not like this is Jimmer Fredette getting a head coaching job. This is Steve Nash. This is obviously somebody that's been handpicked by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Kevin Durant obviously has the relationship from the two years they spent together in Golden State when Steve was a whatever, um, What's the word I'm looking for? A consultant, here? yeah. Consultant, correct. Yes. And they worked so, out even before that. So right, and they had a relationship before that. Yeah. But I think that kind of solidified, okay, while I'm not officially on the coaching staff, I'm a part of a championship organization with one of the best players in NBA history. So I, I think anybody is naive to say, well, why didn't they hire you know this assistant or this assistant? Because Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving weren't going to sign off on that. Simple as that. I think I think we're going to have good progress, though, because Ty Lue's going to get the Sixers job. I, I think there's a lot of strong assistant opportunity. Uh, I think one of the assistants is going to get the Bulls job, and if they don't, I hope it's Nate McMillan. So I, there's a, there's still going to be opportunities out there, and I hope you know things obviously work out for those guys. I hope those guys get what they deserve for putting in the time year after year and busting their ass as assistants. And I get that it's tough to see a guy who wasn't a head coach get a head coaching job, but that it's happened how many times in league history? So so just before, before you go, you're right. Like to this whole point though, like they made Jack Vaughn the highest paid assistant in the league. Yeah. He, he, he's been a head coach before he showcased himself and we're in the bubble. If this team does what they're, they hope to do, Jock Vaughn will be a head coach because he is the lead assistant for this team. Like, it's yeah. not like they denied all African-Americans opportunity with this hire. I mean, this is the team, as I mentioned, that brought Jason Kidd off the floor with nothing, the same way they're doing with Steve Nash. I mean, it's just – I think people lost sight of the fact that Jock Vaughn is going to be a head coach in this league again because of this situation. Yeah, and I mean, also to that point, I mean, Jacques Vaughn was a head coach once before. I, it wasn't a great situation, but he did have the opportunity, and I, I do think he'll get back there. Um, but I mean, yeah, you guys pretty much covered everything. The only other thing I'd want to add is that Nash, I, I think it's a lot different from Jason Kidd and even Derek Fisher in the sense that 
Nash didn't come right off the floor and start coaching. Yes, he hasn't been an NBA head coach and he hasn't been an official assistant coach on an NBA staff, but he's been doing this coaching. He's been a mentor to these guys. He's worked out with Kevin Durant. He had the role with the Warriors, uh, godfather to RJ Barrett. Team Team Canada. Canada. Right, right. So the experience is there. And I think Steve Nash is a guy that – a lot of NBA franchises would have hired as their head coach. It was just a matter of when Nash wanted to do it. Yeah, right. It and this was the opportunity where he was finally ready to come. I mean, it's a dream opportunity. Of course, of course this is the one that you'd, you'd come for, but I, I just think the, the comparisons to like Jason Kidd and a lot of these other guys, I think it's lazy. And as Jeff said, you know, it, it's not like it, it's Jim or Fredette who came right off the court and they gave him the job. It's Steve Nash. It's one of the best point guards of all time. It's one of the best players of all time. I mean, the guy, you know, he, he has 20 years of, of playing professional basketball with an extremely high IQ. And he has what, five or six years since he retired of staying in the game and continuing to work with guys. So, I mean, uh, I'm expecting immediate success for him as well. And, and he, that's not just because of the players. He, and two other quick points on this. He's known the general manager for 22 years. Like, they played together. Like, he's known this Sean Marks for a long time, so there's a longstanding relationship there. And the other thing, too, and I know a lot of people want to bring up the whole great players make bad coaches thing. Uh, I think Steve Nash is different than a Jason Kidd because Jason Kidd was the highly touted recruit. He was the top pick. He was, the, you know, whatever. I mean, Steve Nash went to Santa Clara because no one really knew who he was. Steve Nash did not become a Hall of Fame basketball player until he was 30 years old. Like, this is a guy who can relate more to the dudes on the end of the bench than a lot of these guys that get the job that are Hall of Fame basketball players, too. Like, I think he's better suited for this job than a Jason Kidd. Last point, if your argument is that Steve Nash shouldn't have got the job because of Mark, Mark Jackson. Jackson should, miss me. It's <laughs> big miss me. That, that yeah. Like, I mean, listen, Stephen A was the one that went viral today, and he said Mark Jackson and Ty Lue, and I just kept saying, if you want to use Ty Lue as your basis, I'm all for that. Like, the guys want a title. Absolutely. If you want to use Mark Jackson as the argument here, no. No. There's like then, so many – there's so much documented stuff of how big of an asshole he was when he was the coach in Golden State. There's no reason for anybody to be pining for him to get back into the league. I as don't coach. care that he's from Brooklyn. I really don't care. <laughs> that doesn't make you qualified to be the coach. Joe, well, hometown I mean, coaches always work out. That's where you're right, wrong. Right, right. Listen, guys, don't worry. There's another team in New York, and the Knicks and Mark Jackson have been circling each other for about 10 years now. So I'm now sure he'll get their job at some point. At some point, he'll become the head coach of the Knicks. Oh, don't worry. Or worse, he'll be the Mama. GM like Isaiah. There goes that man. Pretty good Mark Jackson, Jeff. Pretty good. But, no, good for Ty Lue. I don't really understand that fit. I mean, yeah. but. I, I think Ty Lue's a good basketball coach. I don't. That fit again. I don't. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because he'll get on those guys and get the most out of them. But I honestly think he would have fit better in like Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. He would never would have took that job. I, I, see, I don't even know. I don't even know who the right coach would be for that Philly team, though. So I mean, so we talked about Uri and I talked about this a few days ago, and I said to him, "If you're Ty Lue and you have the same offer on the table, do you take Philly or do you take Houston?" And like, I honestly, like, I what did I him, say? Oh. Do you know? For him, I don't know <laughs> which one's – like, that's what – like, when I, I – I was resolute on the fact that Nets weren't going to hire him if it didn't happen already. So that's why I was like, if, if these two teams are both available and they're both playoff teams, which one do you rather have? Now, granted, this, for, 
for Philly, keep spending money. So, you know, might as well go get Ty Lue, So I know this doesn't always matter for coaches, like with what position you played. I just think he would relate better to Harden and Westbrook than he would uh, the 7-3 Embiid and, and 6-10 Ben Simmons. I agree. Yeah. But also, can, can we just get to – I mean, the fact that Ty Lue is the head coach in Philadelphia – I mean, after the step over. Yeah, I mean, come on, that's that's friggin' hilarious. It is funny. (laughs) Yeah. Now we just need a Lakers Sixers finals. Uh, With Allen Iverson on the bench for the late night, coaching the Lakers. Yeah, right. Oh, please. I'll take Jason Kidd's spot when Jason Kidd finally (laughs) gets another job. No. Right. Off off the rails. Let's go. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> Seems the, the, the train car the just creamed off the rails. Drop my pen. Shit's going crazy. All right. Steve Nash related trivia for off the rails. Right. Mr. Nash becomes just the fifth former player to win multiple MVP awards and then go on to become a head coach. Can you name the other four? There's five? So yes, he's, he's the fifth. The fifth. So four more. So Larry Bird and Magic Johnson? Uh-huh. Nice. Okay, got, got those two. Um, <laughs> your eyes are like, I, I don't know, I got nothing. I mean, those are the two that I would have uh, come up with you know, pretty quickly. Uh, there's one easy one. And Bill one. Russell. Tough. There's three. Oh, that's a good one. And so the last, the, the one's, last one's the tough one. Yeah. I mean, he's still a Hall of Famer, but it's just, it's. I'll just say it's not as uh, timely for the the mid twenty year olds here. Oh God. <laughs> Phil Jackson won multiple MVPs, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Overseas. Uh, Pat Riley. <clears throat> We're not counting Kentucky days. Uh, did Jerry West coach? It's not Jerry West. Only executive? It's not. It doesn't. It's just not Jerry yeah, West. No <laughs> cheeks. No, I'm just Are we in the right time period there? Is it that old? Is it, yeah, like it's a little player? bit older. Fuck. Yeah, it's it's like his career ended in 65. Oscar Robinson. No. Um. Oh, Derek Fisher. Duh. I already said him. <laughs> I already said him earlier, guys. We got him. Yeah, uh, it's, it's Jimmer. I don't know what you guys are thinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll give you twenty more seconds. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna. I just did trivia today, so I'm, I'm. I got my timer. I'm ready to hit you with the wrong. I'm ready to be hit with the wrong. Yeah, Bob Pettit. Uh, oh, never would have got it. I never knew he coached. Two-time MVP, became a head coach. I never. Uh, Big long. Blue, the Bombardier. Oh, the Bombardier from Baton Rouge was one of his nicknames. Very cool. Very cool. Um, all right. I got a prompt for you guys. Um, it was a little more relevant last week when, uh, you know, the Clippers were finishing up their series with Dallas and uh, they were having a little trouble with the Mavs. But um, Paul George, in my opinion, has given himself the lamest nickname possible. Playoff P. Playoff P. I mean, uh, I think Jeff's got one he hates more with, with the same letter in it. All right. Well, well, hold on. Because we have – there's bad nicknames, right? 
But then there's there's bad nicknames that you give to yourself, right? Which just makes it that much worse. That's true. Right? I mean, I, I'm assuming you're referring to Swaggy P, Joe. It, no, no, no. No, no. I, I just, Spicy P's just not been spicy enough oh, for spicy. me. <laughs> right, I forgot he even went by that one. Anyway, my, uh, question is, my, my question for you guys is what, what do you think are the worst sports nicknames of all time? So oh, it doesn't even wow. have to be basketball. Oh, I have a clear sh- answer for myself here. It's another nickname that this player gave to himself. Okay. Uh, when Kevin Durant went on Bill Simmons' podcast and called himself The Servant, <laughs> that's the worst fucking nickname in sports. Dude, history. and he's got the coolest one, too, because he's he has the Slim cool, Reaper. Two cool nicknames. And he doesn't Durantula like that one, right? and The Slim Reaper. He hates both of them. Oh, he oh, to be oh, called uh, The Servant. Doug, Doug Martin, Muscle Hamster is arguably the worst oh, nickname of all time. That's a bad one. Yeah. I've got a couple. I think the servant is definitely worse. The servant's bad. Uh, Corey Bad Porn Maggetti. You can't find that one on B-Ball Ref. But it is a, it is a, a known nickname for Corey Maggetti. Um, Big Baby Davis liked, is a bad one, as, I think. Oh, I like Glenn Big Baby Davis. That's a good one. As He's a, pudgy as hell. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. As a as a Phillies fan, I never really got the big piece for Ryan Howard. That that just never did anything for me. That's fair. Um, I, I guess Nikola Jokic is referred to by some as Big Honey. I have not heard this nickname uh, before, but thought that one was bad. Um, oh, here's a classic, uh, not exactly politically correct one. Uh, Lester the Molester Hayes. <laughs> there's, there's gotta, oh yes, Lester the Molester. There's got to be one of, of Shaq's course. nicknames that just suck. <laughs> the big A A R P. Big A A R P. Yeah, there's some bad ones. Um, uh, uh, big jorts for Josh Harrelson. Will Chamberlain's called the Big Dipper. Didn't know that. I feel like I've heard that. I don't know if I like that. I just googled worst sports nicknames. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at, at at bad ones and like I don't think these are that bad. You just don't like the player. I don't know. I, lo- I looked at a lot of those same lists that you guys are looking at. I think, and yeah, it was like Paul Pierce, the truth. I was like, okay, oh. what's bad about that dude in in cleveland wasn't there a cleveland first baseman Uh, travis hafter went by like pronk or something i just oh yeah 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 yeah. pronk yeah that's right yeah yeah this bleacher report list that i just pulled up said that the 21st worst nickname is king for lebron james like what (laughs) that's absurd yeah all right well i i I think we all i got i got one i got one okay i I didn't even see it on the list it just hit my head why Why would you and the the ability to call a game fits this? But why would you ever want your name to be known as Booger? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like you think his first McFarlane. name is Booger now? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like he is Anthony McFarland, and he is exclusively called Booger. I mean, I know the reason behind it has like sentimental value to him, but like going by Dabo is pretty fucking stupid. Yeah. But at least it's like a book, like booger. Why, why do you bad, want that exclusively yeah. at, to be your name? At least I know what a booger is. Like when I, I mean, how, do, how do we feel about boogie along those same lines? I like it, but I doubt he likes it. I think boogie is better than booger. I don't know. Is it like getting book? Like, I don't know. I feel like, like boogie nights. Definitely better than booger. I, I mean, I think we can all agree. We haven't come up with a worse nickname than the servant. <laughs> Can you imagine an athlete? Can you just imagine? And you know they call Durant the servant because he loves setting up his teammates. This Bleacher Report article says that <laughs> David Beckham's nickname was Golden Balls. Oh, okay. Golden. All right. That's pretty good. Um, 
Uh, playoff P, though. I think playoff P is right up there. Uh, it's, he gave it to himself. He sucks in the playoffs. How do you feel uh, about the dark night? For Matt Harvey? Yeah. I mean, he stunk. Or I mean, speaking now. as he a guy was good, who had the Sports Illustrated cover of the dark night on his wall in college, uh, I don't think I can say I hate it. Uh, okay. Did he give that one to himself? I don't know. I just that's that's where it, I I think it might have been. I've never heard anybody call him this, but according to Basketball Reference, Grant Hill, one of his known nicknames is Mister Nice, and boy, does that suck. <laughs> Apparently, Dwight Howard once called Jameer Nelson the crib midget. Jeez, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good stuff. That's not well. And uh, what about Eric Bledsoe's nickname, uh, Baby LeBron, or whatever? Is that what it was? I th- I thought that one's held up well. A uh, really, really bad in the playoffs guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, if we're going to go on to baby LeBron, how about when Andrew Wiggins was coming out of high school and he was Maple Jordan? Yeah. Or when um, Air Canada. When Harold, when Harold <laughs> Miner called himself Baby Jordan. Oh, I saw that. That worked out. Yeah. Um, all right. What do you got, Joe? Anything? Are we going to do your this or that, or are we doing another prompt? No, first? we'll save that. We'll save that. I don't have one. All right, I'll I'll step in your place. What's your this not more not more so a prompt, but just kind of like a a basketball philosophy thing? What is your breaking point when it comes to playoff failure with coaches? Like at the end of the day, I think we're all pretty pretty aware that the grass is not always greener when you fire a coach. Uh, I think we may see something like that with Nate McMillan. Oh, oh, I got one. Okay, I'm sorry. But but like, okay, you can see somebody. We've we've seen plenty of guys that have had success get fired, and then success doesn't come back to that team. But then you see like, okay, we're gonna move on from Dwayne Casey, who won 59 games and won Coach of the Year, and then we're gonna win the title. Obviously, you get Kawhi, but you're gonna win the title the next year with Nick Nurse. Like, where? What's your breaking point? I mean, obviously, Brett Brown was a clear breaking point. But just, I'm talking know, about like, number of seasons without. No, no, no just like what, what do you have to see for it to be like, okay, we're clearly at our peak with this coach. And unless we move on and get somebody else, like, what do you have to see for it to be that your decision where, okay, you could go to the conference finals three years in a row, but you know you're never getting out of there? Like, well, you, so I, you have I to think keep it's that th- coach? I think it's, I think if. <laughs> If we're three years into a period where it's the same result and there's no sign of improvement, I'm at the point that I'm ready to make a change. So like Dwayne Casey. Yeah. Or, you know, like Nate McMillan, like you mentioned. Because like that's obviously, that's obviously the easy example because you could say, oh, well, they, they fired Dwayne Casey in the next year. They won the title with Nick Nurse. But, I mean, yeah, I don't have a great example off the top of my head, but how many coaches could we say, okay, they made it to the playoffs three out of four years, got fired, and then the team didn't sniff the playoffs for five years? You know, honestly, Mike Woodson in Atlanta, and I'm sorry, Ryan, but Mike Woodson in Atlanta, like that, it, it got clear that no, if, no matter if he was a good coach, no matter like who they put on the floor, they were never going to get past the second round of the playoffs if they got to the second round. And it, it just, you knew, even though we're a playoff team, you knew we have to try something different. Okay, now, so, yes. so that being said, if they lose, say they lose this round this year, 
Giannis resigns. What's your breaking point with Mike Budenholzer, who's one coach of the year, obviously, and that's a so good way. Say, to frame so, it. same team comes into next year, like the same yeah, roster. Say, say Giannis, Giannis resigns. He's he's in for five years. Mike Budenholzer back as head coach next year. You don't make it to the finals again. I'd keep him. The I East getting happens, tougher. I think if it happens two more times, two more two more years without a finals appearance. Honestly, honest to God, even if Giannis resigns, on. if if the same team comes back next year and they don't make the finals, I'm firing Bud. Yeah, I I think the argument is that you can't waste all of Giannis's prime. Like if if you have a guy that's going to win multiple MVPs in the Eastern Conference, you got to get to the finals. And it, and more so than that, and even I know you said he resigned, and, but more so than that, in this era, I mean, I don't give a crap that he signed that contract. He right. he could force his way out. Like it, feel, it's just I, I you have to show bad. him something different's coming. Can you really I would feel fire less a coach? Bad about it too, though, because he's going to get another job. You Can you really fire a coach if he wins sixty plus games in three straight seasons? I'm counting this year as yeah. a sixty plus win season. I, I, well, I think you can because every team has to have different expectations coming in. I think, like I think, uh, Bud is in a is, vacuum. Sure, sixty winning sixty games is great, but if you have, say, he wins the MVP again next year, if you have a three time MVP that has never made it to the NBA Finals, that's a problem. That's fair. Not a lot of precedent for that. That's a big problem. So, so my uh, my prompt that as soon as you started talking, I thought of. <laughs> I have worse, that effect on people. Worse um, insult, I guess, to put in a press release. The playoff record for Nate McMillan in his firing release by by ownership and front office. That was bullshit. Or. The fact that neither of the Wilpons spelled Brody uh, Van Wagenen's name correctly. Nice. Which which one is worse, the playoff record or the fact that neither one of them could spell their GM's name correctly? The spelling, because that's just disrespectful. The spelling, because like, it was intentional. It takes, it takes it was two seconds. So was the playoff record, though. There's, they, they definitely put that on purpose in there on purpose. Like, yeah, we know yeah, we no. gave him an extension, but he's three and sixteen, so he's got. Okay, it. but okay, but Nate McMillan went three and sixteen in playoff games. That's no, results. But, no, that's what, not, they intentionally spelled their GM's name wrong just to be assholes. Right. To him, it's, they no, definitely that. They, it's I was just definitely saying, they, that they one. <laughs> like they, they didn't need to put Nate McMillan. No, they didn't need to right. put it in there. But that's the guy right. did go three and sixteen in the playoffs in four years. Hundred <laughs> percent. So, I'm not. I'm not you know, arguing this. He also saying. missed it's his best player for two of those series. Just putting that out there. Yeah, I was just saying they both were intentional. Was all. Yeah. I no, I mean they're both shitty. It's definitely. It's definitely the Will Ponds though. I mean, how could they ever lose in a game of who did it worse? If it's the Will Ponds versus literally anybody. So. All right, guys. are coming in soon though for the Mets. So that's exciting. I was just gonna say, all right, guys. Who's the next owner of the Mets, and how excited is Uriah going to be? Oh, yeah. Get you guys see Aaron said there. today that uh, he's basically called the whole thing bullshit, and everybody's calling him out, and they're like, hey, guy, you served, like, the longest PED suspension in the history of the league, so probably not the best uh, – the best – fairness is probably not the best, like, uh, a point for you to die Kill on. Kill the guy can, on, can, yeah. can we also – like, aside <laughs> from the character and the suspension, can we also just address the fact that, like – Steve Cohen could just continuously be like, you know what? Oh, I'll throw another five mil. I'll he has more a- money yeah. than A-Rod. Exactly. Right. He has the money. Yes. A-Rod doesn't actually that, – that group didn't actually have the money. <laughs> the better question together. is who has more money than Steve Cohen? Good Lord. Bill Gates. He doesn't count. 
Um, you know, I mean, I would hope that a new owner uh, buying the Mets, we'll do a little Mets corner here. We're going to start doing this every week. Please oh, don't. Oh, by the way, Joe, I, I watched that uh, Pete Alonso walk off on the Yeah, my bullpen is horrific. Congratulations. Boys, the Phillies won 9 out of 10. I don't give a shit what Have they really? Say. Wow. Yeah. Have not been uh, following the Phillies at all. So yeah, we're no so one has. back. It's like we're that so scene back. from. Uh, it's like that scene from. So Mad wait, Man. what are they right now? Are they the Are they the seven? What What are they? They're, they're the two in the NL East. I don't know. Ooh. I don't. I haven't looked at what they That's are. I was just saying, you don't want to be the one. You don't want to be the the eight. Is all I'm saying. Like nine out of ten doesn't matter if you got the eight. You're gonna lose ain't afraid season. of the Dodgers. <laughs> ain't afraid of no one. <laughs> um, I mean. Listen, you, you've got three relievers. You fixed your problems. Jupiter's becoming lonely. 3.5 ERA in the last 10 games after 8.59 before that. When the, when the, one more quick point on the Mets. Uh, after the trade deadline the other day, I had a friend text me and say, hey, congrats on Chirinos. I said, you are the only person <laughs> who has ever sent a congratulations text relating Robinson, to Robinson Chirinos. Chirinos. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and of hey course, guys, did, did the you man know that Todd from Todd Frazier, New Jersey, yeah. <laughs> himself, Todd Frazier. Do you know Todd Frazier's from? Uh, you guys know he stood next to Derek Jeter once. <laughs> Very cool. All right, Finally long home, long one. Time to wrap up. I think. Yep, I agree. So go Phillies. Do you want that hey, as a punchline, or do you want me to stop? Yeah, <laughs> go, go Phillies. <laughs> That's what, we're gonna end with that. Go Phillies. Phillies yeah, three in the key. Signing off.